Welcome to Gatsby Fridays, a show about getting the best out of a creative life from two creative directors working around the world and based in New York City. I'm your host, Alex Chamilio. And I'm Sarah Semi. Today, we continue our Gatsby Friday Design Book Club. We talk about my love of cookbooks and Alex's love of fashion books and how they influence our creative process. At the end of each episode, we make a signature cocktail to toast cheers to you. So hang with us as we talk design books. I'm Alex. And I'm Sarah. And And this this is Gatsby Gatsby Fridays. Fridays. Sarah, before we get into our conversation, let's do a check-in. How are you, and what are you wearing? Well, I'm wearing um, skinny black pants, mm-hmm. skinny black jeans, and um, they used to be my loosest pair, so they're my only pair these days. Thank you, quarantine. <laughs> and uh, just a basic, t- like, light gray turtleneck, because I don't wear enough gray sweaters. We're, just... <laughs> we're starting to wear the same silhouettes a lot now. I'm, like, so happy that it was barely not freezing today, so that I still get to wear my sneakers and not heavier boots. Um, how am I doing? I'm, I'm, I'm doing okay. I'm hanging in there. Let's put it that way. Okay. We're post Thanksgiving, which was the weirdest Thanksgiving. It didn't feel like Thanksgiving. True. Um, and I know we're all going through it in different ways. I just slept the whole time, which is probably because I just didn't have anything else to do. There's a little bit of lack of motivation that I've been feeling Mm. due to this, like, it's the beginning of winter, and what's waiting for us does not, like, excite me. Winter's coming. Winter is coming, and it's not going to be fun. So, I mean, but, you know, then we get in here into the office, and then we start talking, and then... You <laughs> we know, have a couple of drinks, and then we're, <laughs> well, we and then we're good to go. We cocktail, and then <laughs> I get to go. Um, but even without that, like, just, just to get out of that, that headspace and coming into here and all of a sudden talking about things... It's always inspirational. So by the time we sit down to record, I'm always feeling better than when I started the day. You sound better. How are you doing? What are you wearing? We are starting to wear very similar silhouettes in terms of uh, jeans, except my jeans are just light wash jeans. But I am wearing a, a you know, chunky turtleneck as well, just in the charcoal gray. Yeah. So it's it's very it's very appropriate. Because winter is Listen, coming. it's winter. There's not going to be that much excitement about the outcome ch- like outfit choices. Of, I'm going to be repeating a lot of these turtlenecks, by the way. That's, I have yeah, a lot of them. it's a miracle that I didn't wear my same leather red leggings. And I'm wearing I'm wearing Jordans, but the uh, the difference with these are these are red, and oh. I typically only buy black Jordans. And oh. these are a weird combination okay. of a couple of silhouettes all mashed up into one silhouette of a shoe. I'm not going to go into the different variations of of each model that comprises this one silhouette, but just rest assured that that's what's going on there. I'm feeling good, you know? I feel every time I come down here, we've been doing this for a while, and it's it's evolving, and we are trying to figure out how best to make that evolution work for us. So it's a process, but I am feeling good about it. Yeah. Good. So, getting into our design book subject of the episode, um, my my angle this episode is about my love of cookbooks. I think we've 
in the in the in the past episodes we mentioned my obsession with cooking and uh, kitchen gadgets and 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 my cookbooks. So this is well known, and and the angle I want to focus on here is how my interaction with cookbooks impacts my interaction with design books. Mm. The way that it works for me is I live in a book almost. It's not a one-time thing. You don't just buy a cookbook and make two recipes and put it on a shelf. You go you go through it, you come back to it and it's like a whole like it's a long-term process. Is it the same with your fashion book? I what? was excited that you were going to be talking about cookbooks because you a correlation between what cookbooks are to you and design books and how that creative process works for you. And, I, and I'm interested in hearing about that. Fashion books are can be an instruction manual of, of sorts, but I don't, you know, because there's, just like in cookbooks, there's very, very nice photography, everything's lit properly, and everything is is made to show the food in its best light possible, just like in these fashion books. But... What I like about these fashion books, since I just have a lot of them, is that there is a history that I like to look back towards to see what silhouettes were popular during a certain time. Just like the history in cookbooks, uh, what recipes were popular at a certain time and what ingredients were necessary for those particular recipes. Yeah, like no one's using sun-dried tomatoes. It's not the early 90s anymore. <laughs> oh, man. Sun-dried tomatoes were everywhere. Oh, I don't miss that flavor. Uh-uh. Me neither. Never mind my thing, but um, but yeah. So there's, there's a historical aspect of you know like you buy a book, but there's also I mean everybody cooks differently. Like people like I have a lot of people that I interact with that are really in thriving in the kitchen. Um, very few of them are very book oriented, and this this angle came to me because I was having a conversation with my cookbook channel of text text group that I made this one salad, and I usually just you know like when you you become a certain kind of like seasoned cook that you just you're like oh yeah I don't have that cheese I'll just use this one instead I do not need a recipe for a kale salad you just put a little bit of greens acid salt cheese you're done right like it's so simple but I followed the recipe to the T for this one I bought the cheese it called for I did the breadcrumbs. I bought the kind of kale it called for, and all of a sudden, it really was the best kale salad I made in the last year. And it's the simplicity of like following certain directions, even if, even when I know what I'm making, um, I I don't need help with making kale salad, <laughs> right? It's just that it's the same thing I'm working with. I need someone's like finesse touch in it, and and I feel like design is the same way. I don't need a cookbook to learn how to make a kale salad but I need that cookbook to bring me back to my roots or something that I already know but to be reminded of this is these are the types of resources that it's a wealth of knowledge that you're building like you buy these books put your on put it on your shelf like I don't I already know the lifetime of salt bass I read it the first time I bought the book but every time I read it I'm a different person I'm at a different stage in my life so I take something else from that I, I, you know, I, I grab a different aspect of his work. The first time I interacted with Saul Bass's work was the, the, the movie credits because I've always been fascinated by them. There was a point in my life where I thought that would be my career. Looking back at it now, I'm more inspired about how he started and how early on his roots were in New York and all of this. Like this, every time that I look back at that book, I grab something else. So this is the way that we use design books, the same way my cookbooks are used. I come back to them over and over. You put it on a shelf. You don't. You don't touch it for a year. That's okay. You didn't buy it to look at it every day. You bought. You bought it to 
have access to it your, throughout your entire life. It's a lifelong interaction and you're building these references because, you know, you buy it, you bring it home, you skim through it, you know what's in it. So when you're looking for a certain project inspiration, you know where to go. I knew I wanted vegetables for this weekend, so I went to the vegetable bar. I went to Six Seasons. And then I was like, ah, let me just make a simple salad too, just because why not, and let's follow this one. You know what you're, when you, where you're going with it when you pull out your fashion book. You know exactly which brand's book that you're pulling out or which photography angle that you're looking for. You've seen it before, but you keep it because... When the project calls for it and you bring it out, it gives you a different perspective. You are not the same person who looked at it last. You also evolve. Your references evolve over time. So it's a lifelong interaction when you build a library of design books. Do you pull out a particular cookbook for a specific reason, just like you pull out a design book, say for typography specifically, or a letter type. Yeah, it's not that different. Layout specifically. And then are these cookbooks organized in such a way that that's how you reference them in your library? Well, I don't have the luxury of space to organize as as I wish. But um, that's a good point because in our first design book club episode last season, we talked about the types of books that we've evolved over time. Like we needed more technical knowledge early on in our careers mm-hmm. and now we look at more inspirational resources. So my cooking evolved the same way. Like my first book was Rachel Ray, um, 30 Minute Meals, because I was like, oh my God, 30 Minute Meals. And it's fully so inspired all of a sudden. For someone who's... I had only cooked from my mom's recipes up until then. And those were like, you know, for her, like an you know, old school, like handwritten little journal. And uh, and the Martha Stewart magazines that I would find in the office. Mm. So my first, like the fact that I bought a cookbook was like, I was like, oh my God, I'm so invested now. But, you know, I grew, I, I grew up, like I, I learned a lot more over time. So then that 30 minute dinner rest mentality, like I under, I started understanding where all of those little quick tips come from. I went deeper into it the same way that, you know, you, you look at the typography book and you're like, okay, so it's teaching me black letter versus serif and sans serif. But then, you know, your next level is understanding where all those fit where would a black letter title be appropriate? What kind of emotion does it evoke? It kind of is not that different with, with the cooking. Like, so I have certain cookbooks that are more technique-based, and then I have ones that are more specifically cultural traditions that you follow certain appearances or flavors. And, you know, over time, then you kind of find your people in, in, in that world, the people work that you appreciate more so you don't question their recipes as much or their their flavor profile sits with you the same way that you kind of always have this inkling to go towards a similar design aesthetic because we over time evolve our own tendencies of what we like are these cookbooks in your memory are there books better designed than others for the task of cooking and design aesthetic design Absolutely. layout well, the design aesthetic, I can't help it because it's what I do. So if, yeah. if the design is not good, I, I have trouble cutting what would back be stuff. What would be considered not a great design aesthetic for a cookbook? Well, if it's hard, if the layout just like chops up the recipe steps into multiple pages, I want to know the story behind it because I want to know why I, each one of them has a different place. It's not one for the other. That's why I have that many of them. Mm. But I, what I like about each one of them is the individual story behind the author and how they tell it 
which is kind of goes back to design saying, you know, like, I like Saul Bass's life story and then how that evolved him into, like, making these credits versus this, like, how he created these career paths for himself. And that's the level of inspiration sometimes I go for when I'm not looking for the visual inspiration, right? So with the cooking, it's different. Uh, it's not that different in the sense that I, I have these references for different reasons. But in terms of a layout and the look of the book, oh, my God. Like, there's some terrible ones, like, just some stock imagery, and it's hard to follow. The ingredients need to be clearly laid out. The steps need to be very simplified. Yes. I hate it when they, like, constantly just, like, go back to that page for this part of the recipe and go back to oh. this page. And like, I'm like, oh, I just reprint the same three lines of the paragraph. Don't make me jump through the book back and forth seven times. Okay. Um, there's, you know, like this, it's that as user interface yes. <laughs> of a book. So yes. the, from a design perspective, like I'm, because I'm a designer, I have a lot of like opinions about how things should be laid out. Does but scale matter in terms of the, the proportions of these books? Because they, they come in all different they sizes. They do come in all different sizes. Not really. I mean, they need to be substantial because they need to, I like, you know, I don't have this like space for a countertop where like it holds the book and stuff like the stands and stuff like that. Um, but I do... I don't know. I Because I'm the kind of designer that likes a lot of negative space, where you don't need to fill every inch of your layout. Wow. Um, so, I, I, I mean, obviously, from that perspective, like, I respond to ones that have more white space, even though they didn't fill every page. So the book itself is bigger, but the type isn't full. Um, but, I mean, from a design perspective, I also get very annoyed, I realize, when I don't see a picture of the recipe. Cause I think that's important, right? Yes, be the but first sometimes thing. to save in terms of finances, like, you know, they don't photograph every recipe. Oh. Um, and then, the, you know, there's like seven recipes and then four of them are photographed. And I'm like, well, but I want to know what the other one looked like because I, I want to make sure that when I'm cooking it, the colors I got the right, like, I want to know how to plate it, like, yes. you know, the instructions. That seems to only make sense. <laughs> but like from a fashion perspective, you know, like you want to see how the, the, the drapery is, like how the how fabric the falls, like yes. the visual aspect of things is always important, but probably because we're visual people. You know, I it, also it it could be a price issue. Uh, sometimes you know. I mean, you with a, books, yes, it's always. So it's a price issue. So expensive. so printing in color versus printing in black and white. Um, oh yeah, black and white cookbooks. I'd rather not even have it. To me, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> I know. To have a black and white cookbook. <laughs> they exist. Yeah. They ex I'm sure they do. I'm sure, and also earlier cookbooks, which should not be, you know, put to the side just because they're black and white. The recipes are still the recipes. There's also, like, the illustration ones. Northern mm. California cooking, like, uh, more of a, um, Alex Waters vegetable, like, trend. Everybody coming from that school of cooking, they always have these, like, little, like, very, like, beautiful, quirky illustrations. And it's kind of, like, I've noticed this in that trend from coming from that area of the restaurants, from that, like, part of Northern California. And I'm like, come on! Would you ever purchase a cookbook simply for its design aesthetic? I don't no, I actually started, we talked about my passion project two episodes ago, but why I started the cooking Instagram account. It has also made me plate nicely, versus sometimes I just want to pile on a bunch of vegetables on a bowl and just like scoop it up. But then even now, even if I'm not going to photograph it, I actually plate it prettier before I dig into it. It makes you conscious of what you're eating. So from that perspective, yes, even though I may not want to make the recipes out of the book, the way that the food is photographed and plated 
and scenery, I think, would be very, very important. I also like the cookbooks where it's like, there's this one that I haven't bought yet, it's in my wish list. It's a Baja California cookbook where it shows the Baja coastline of like, you know, California. below San Diego, like, yes. you know, below Tijuana where you just like the, the ocean line and like the coastline where the the wineries are and all that stuff. Like, mm. and, and the combination of like the seafood and the land and all of that. But then they really acknowledge that the environment is what makes that particular area of Mexican cooking is different. I think it's also important when you're talking about certain recipes, if it's appropriate for the theme of the book, to to see the photography of the environment, which is not that different from fashion layouts, where you somehow have this like you know ethereal presence of. It would be interesting for fashion books, I think. I mean, because fashion is about the garments, oftentimes, but it would be great to actually see more of the natural environment that surrounds fashion, and some books do that are more about cultures. Um, well, there's a lot of streetwear photography, right? There's a lot of streetwear photography, but it's very it's very close on photography, not yeah. pulling out to see the environment in which things... And that's what's the interesting thing about cookbooks. Yes, there are uh, photographs of the dishes themselves, but when you see the Baja coastline, it brings you there. Yes. It brings you beyond the plates. So now when you look at a picture, I mean, it's, it's almost basic design psychology right yeah. like you see that you, you get your establishing shot yeah and then you get your close-up and you make a correlation between the two and it makes this so much more rich so much more satisfying to look at and probably taste better because you know the history because you've seen an establishing shot i feel like fashion could actually benefit from that well, don't you think it already does in a way that, like, you know, lifestyle imagery is what, fa- like, it, it, definitely, it feeds into fashion photography? Definitely, definitely. And I'm going to go into a particular book that I'm going to talk about uh, later on in, in, in the episode that establishes that to give you the full aspect of what a lifestyle is. All right, Alex, let's get into the books. So you have a couple that you want to mention. Okay, so I have three books that I want to talk about. Two are fashion. One is a uh, photography book, but I'll go into the fashion ones. And the first one that I'm going to talk about is a Ralph Lauren book. Uh, He has many books, and everyone knows, I I think by now, who Ralph Lauren is. Uh, So I purchased this book, I think, in 2016-15, and it's one of the beginning books on the Ralph Lauren mythology and how he produces polo and how his kind of philosophy is not really about the actual clothing it's about the lifestyle in which the clothing inhabits and it's very cinematic so talking about establishing shots he always prefaces everything by huge establishing shots of the great west or the gilded age or even beach culture in some in some instances um Old Hamptons, and those establishing shots make the clothing much more richer. And this is a this is an anthology of his work, and it just re- reminds me that he is not someone who necessarily designs clothes. He designs the image behind clothes. And what's great about him, and viewing the, this particular book, is that he gives you history that has not existed before in fashion which is a hard thing to do because he'll make something new that seems like it existed for years 
Hmm. And that's incredible. You know, like making a denim peacoat. No, when peacoats were made, you know, <laughs> back in the turn of the century, they were not made out of denim, but he'll make one out of denim that looks like it was from that era. That's amazing. That's incredible. You know, so that's that's the first book that I wanted to talk about. The second book, I'll make a sandwich. I'll make a fashion photography fashion sandwich. <laughs> the second one is a photography book that I enjoyed because of all the little intricacies and pieces that came with the book. So here's the thing. It's a design book club. My budget for design books has not changed. The design books changed. I buy design books that are more about the intricacies and the things that they come with. So this particular book, the uh, Serge Gainsbourg family album. And what's amazing about this book is I don't purchase very many books these days because the books that I read are on e-readers. So it's far and few that I buy design books. And this was a special book because it came with so many pieces. And not only does it highlight their family and just the life that they've led growing up with their children, which which is sweet in and of itself, the book itself gives you negatives, it gives you stickers, it gives you even an embroidery patch. So I feel like I'm purchasing a lot more than just a book. Pieces of their life. Pieces of their it's lives. It's kind of creepy, but also at the same so I know, it's, it's funny to be buying another person's family album, <laughs> but it's designed very well. It's, it's more than just, a, like, it's not a photo book, it's a whole experience. It's the experience of opening the book. And that's the thing that the e-reader, up until this point, is not going to be able to give you. you know? Oh, no, I mean, the e-reader books are, like, novels and biographies and stuff like that that you buy, like, just because you want to read them. And honestly, when I, when I buy those, like, I come back and buy them in, in print if I feel like I'm going to come back to them again. We come from a background of actually making physical books. Yes. And in my current position now, up until this point during the pandemic, I made physical books still. (laughs) Well, also, I mean, I think that this particular one is uh, last season's design book club. You had the Stanley Kubrick book, which also comes with negatives. So this is something that you you like. It's a theme. Extra that you pay attention to. So like you like your books that have all this like full on experience. Very full-on tactile experience that have more than just the visual and and what you read and what you gain intellectually. They have seriously books that have negatives in them. I've purchased books that have embroidery in them. I mean, there there are other books that have unmentionables in them that I'd rather not mention. (laughs) But they make the the design book a rich viewing experience, and I really enjoy that. All right. What's what's the top bread on the sandwich? So the top bread is an amazing book, and this is going to lead into what I want this year as a holiday present, uh, is the ideas from Massimo Ossi, who is the creator of Stone Island CP Company, and he's an Italian designer. You mentioned him before I, in previous podcasts. I feel like I did because he's he's... If there is any designer that has, like, top ten designer that has an influence over my life, it's definitely him and his his aesthetic. He started out as a graphic designer, uh, went into uh, making clothing with a lot of fabric innovation. Just like with these cookbooks, you go back to them to gain detail. And that's, for, and that's, a, that's a big thing that I'm about. 
oh, he designed a pocket a certain way that that draped this way or that moved this way that served this specific function. Maybe I can reapply this function onto a garment that I'm creating or maybe I can apply this aesthetic into a design motif that I'm creating. Totally. Just like, just like with cooking, you know, I wonder, I don't think that, is there too much of, I don't know what to call it, recipe splicing? That what do you will, mean splicing? Meaning taking one element from one recipe and from another and oh, building please. a like, new... I decide to make a brand new dish that I've never made before. I will go online, research the recipe, and find seven different versions of it from different resources, different famous chefs, different food bloggers, whatever. And then I will combine it to my liking. That's a different kind of cooking that I do. The cookbooks are different because you live in them. Like you buy, like I buy it and then I that sits on my counter for at least three months because I keep coming back to it, picking up another recipe for this week, picking up another recipe for next week. I still modify everything that I make. That's something that I, I'm not. That there's a lot of people that find that irritating, especially professional chefs. And I'm like, how dare you come in and modify my recipe? But that I know what what I like, right? Like I know my own favorite profiles that I respond to. But I also buy these books because I'm trying to learn certain techniques. Recently, obviously, we mentioned my um, interest in Mexican food and, and cooking with different types of traditional recipes. I, I'm in no place to be modifying anything there. I need to do the recipes as a resource to learn so that when I make something elsewhere, I don't know, down the line in two years, I already know what I'm doing so I can modified that way i'm building my knowledge at like it's a different process um than just uh you know it's kind of like how we did with you know like earlier in our careers we bought more technical books when we were learning the difference between the typographies and now we buy the things that says okay you can do that but then you can also use it this way in that world like and we look for inspiration there are certain types of cooking that i'm just learning because um but i'm also trying to learn something that i can build on so the um those types of um traditional recipes from from a cuisine that i'm just getting to know i i don't modify but everything else i'm like said i know how to roast a chicken i can read 20 recipes and i will still pick and choose what i like about each one and i you know doesn't mean the one they didn't pick is wrong it's just not my personal preference and that's when i feel like i'm finally in a place in my kitchen where i'm comfortable the same way that i'm comfortable in design where i know when i look at something and i know that's an inch off and i know that needs to tilt a little to the right to balance the negative space the right way i don't need to get inspiration for that technicality but i need to get inspiration into what should occupy that negative space? Mm. How what we what do we put in the composition that balances this organically or visually? You look at it and you feel satisfied because everything is where it needs to be, and not necessarily filling up the entire page. Right, like that level of expertise comes over time. I love that cooking your cookbook and the way you think about that aesthetic totally falls in line with fashion on the cultural references, but also what it meant at the time that either a design was created versus what a recipe meant for the time in which it was created. Like, I often think of revolutionary designs, Dior, Yves Saint Laurent, and how they really pushed fashion forward for the time that they were set in. And I wonder if cooking... Cooking must do the same thing. There must have been a time where... 
there was an interesting recipe or an interesting way of cooking. That's a good point. That I think moved, considering that move the art forward. I'm sh- see. I think that's where I lack the wealth of knowledge that I was talking about that I'm working on building. I'm not a traditionally trained chef or anything. I'm just oh. this is like my personal interest. So I'm behind everybody that does this for a living that's a professional so i'm learning and even even as i try to read as much as i do i dismiss something then i come back and be like oh that's why they did it that way (laughs) (laughs) oh this didn't really you know like i know how not to break a sauce when i'm making it but i also know that there's certain like chemistry levels that go in there there's a reason why certain things are done a certain way and i don't question the chemistry of things as much but i don't know in terms of certain trends that will break through because i i'm just new to this in the sense that i just follow where my interest leads me flavor wise and you know what i want to eat my feelings are at that day so it's just it's very emotionally involved and not necessarily like following a textbook. So maybe if I studied, if I took a course or something, maybe it would have like, I would have had a better aspect of it. So that's where I think, um, that's where I'm lacking in terms of the cooking side. But that's not, I, I don't think that that's it for you. I think you want, want to some extent know the history of stuff, but it's, oh, yeah, it's I'll emotive. Get there. It's, I'll it's, get there. It's all emotion, I feel like. I mean, cooking, you know, it's a, it's a thing, It's it's one of these few things that, you put into your body and fashion you put on your body. Interesting. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. After all of this comparison between fashion, cooking, design, what are your takeaways? I love this conversation, you and the, and the aspect of cooking, because that's something I didn't come into this thinking that was in my frame of reference or in my frame of mind. I am not a cook. I would like to cook more. What you do and what I do and what I like about the the books that I've chosen is the tactileness, and cooking is very tactile. Yeah. You know, I enjoy smelling the paper. I enjoy lifting different weights. I enjoy hard covers. I enjoy soft covers. I enjoy proportion, scale. Yeah, your books, like I mentioned, have uh, they're not just pages. No, there's there's a lot. That I goes mean, into I like that aspect of it, but it's not. It's not my thing as much as it is yours. Like, you really find those gems that have all of these extras. Those are what make these design books special to me. Yeah. I'm just, I can only speak for myself. And the thing with the, the correlation with cooking is that cooking is something that you have to do with your hands. And this is reading that I have to do with my hands as well, <laughs> which I love. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think we when we said design, I mean, this is something that we decided to do every season to talk about our design books this some this is something that just i wasn't expecting to talk about this much cookbooks either i it just came out last minute in the sense that out of a conversation that i was having about the kale salad that i mentioned (laughs) it's i realized that not everybody cooks through books the same way because i have other friends who don't really own any cookbooks but they're really always in their kitchen and they they everybody does it differently um, the same way with design. Like, everybody has their own processes. Some people just, you know, like, collect digital assets. And some people just paint their own thing and scan it in and, like, go full-on tactile. The pro- I think what I liked is somehow this is very self-reflective. And part of our, the podcast is that way, too. That I finally understand why I like 
the, the cookbooks the same way because it's a reference, but it's also something that I'm building for life that I can keep coming back to. But again, I react, I do better with design when I work with my hands. Like if I'm doing the paper and I like, you know, we talked about when we were doing our early on um, project inspirations where I, I lay out the books and I need to be surrounded by them. Nice. So there's, there's that. Like I, I've had six books on my counter the last two weeks, just getting ready for my solo Thanksgiving. Thank you. Thank you, Corona. <laughs> but, like, it's because I keep coming back to it. I look at it. I mark things and come back. The process is not that different when it comes to design and inspiration. And all of that came in full full circle when all of a sudden we were talking about books. And I'm like, listen, like, I have, I don't remember the last time I bought a design book, but I have a lot of cookbooks that I interact with on a daily basis. That's And that's valid for this. And yeah, and we had this conversation about where my obsession with cooking could reflect to in terms of design. And I think this is this is the one that is very directly relevant where how we get inspiration, how we learn from books and how we take it and make it our own and it's kind of like a similar process. The only difference is no one's paying me for the mo- for the foods that I make and I don't have any deadlines other than my own meal time and I'm hungry. So freedom. <laughs> but yeah, so those are my takeaways. Like I think the process, it's a process. And that's what I find exciting about design books too, that it, you live with them. It's not just you buy it and put it on a shelf. Even if you don't touch it for five years, five years later, it'll have its moment and it'll change everything again for you. And you'll be a different person when you look at it five years down the I think the line. it'll be that much more richer when you look at it. I love looking at books that I haven't seen in years and I discover something new in them. Yeah. So for me, I think my takeaway for this episode would be how we interact with the design books and how they're a lifelong relationship with you and how they evolve with you over your creative career. And now for our favorite part of this in every episode, our signature cocktail. Alex, what are you making for us today? So we thought today, Design Book Club, what would be a great drink to have while you're looking at your cookbooks or while you're working on something in the kitchen or you're looking at your books in your library? Uh, And we thought... An espresso martini. Keeps you up, gives you the buzz that you need. It's the perfect drink for looking at books. So this espresso martini is a traditional espresso martini. Involves three ingredients. uh, Kahlua, espresso, and vodka. Yeah, it's really straightforward. So what we did, and we do it in parts, since that seems to be the way we're doing our... Make fun of me. And no, it's good. I think that's the way we should be doing it. Because what do I know about mixing drinks? I know a lot now. Two parts vodka, one part espresso, and half part Kahlua. You put that all in a martini shaker with ice. Shake that up until it's nice and frothy and foamy at the top. About 30 seconds. And you pour those into a nice martini glass. We have some nice glasses. You could see that on our Instagram video. Uh, Decorate with espresso beans. And enjoy. It's really the best. It really worked out for us, especially <laughs> for this episode. <laughs> I mean, in in our uh, in our little New York spin, I first had one of these at Balthazar, which we just looked up and found out it's still temporarily closed due to COVID. Yes. Um, but when it opens, we will have an Instagram session there. Oh man, I'm looking forward to that.
Thank you for hanging with us. For a list of the resources mentioned in this episode, hop onto our site, GatsbyFridays.com. You can find the espresso martini recipe at our website, GatsbyFridays.com. For show notes or if you want to leave a comment, suggest a show topic, get us out on our site. Don't forget to rate us. Give us five stars. Write a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps to get us in front of more ears and build our audience. Or if you're a Spotify person, make sure to follow us at Gatsby Fridays. Follow us on Instagram for exclusive content like Alex making this week's drink on our Insta stories throughout the week. Stay with us on our next episode. We walk through Chelsea in three acts. This This is Gatsby Gatsby Fridays. Fridays.